Are all religions the same? Is there a one-size-fits-all approach to engaging all of them? Well, there sort of is. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is Podcast 045, Podcast 45. Today, we want to have a biblical conversation about the crazy world in which we live as it pertains to engaging all religions. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's-eye view perspective of this complex issue, confronting you, the church, and even our culture, and applying God's Word to make sense of it all. At the end of the podcast, as always, we'll point you to additional resources for further study, just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. All right. This is a very ambiguous title, I think. Uh, Understanding all religions, that seems like, first of all, it seems like a big task to tackle in 20 minutes. Um, So you want to explain kind of where you're going with that? Sure, and I think we can get it done in 20 minutes. So the title basically is part of a new uh, series of episodes called Understanding. And in this go-around, more so than critiquing, our emphasis is going to be on equipping. And every Christ follower is faced with confronting or coming into contact with someone of another religion. Even in my own condominium complex, there are Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists, Jewish people, atheists, and yes, professing Christians, and I'm sure there are others I haven't met. And how often do we meet people like this who are spiritual? I'm pretty certain that in San Jose and Santa Clara County, there are those who are perhaps tied to some indigenous religion, whether they are Native American or Hmong or something else. Then, of course, there are those who are atheistic or those who have embraced scientism. Scientism. Would you want to explain that one a little bit? Sure. That's the belief in science. It's its own religion. Maybe you've seen the movie uh, Nacho Libre, and one of the characters in the movie says he believes in science. It's a belief system. Scientism is a belief system. Then, of course, you've got other religions like people on the left and their progressivism or neo-Marxism. These people are very religious, too. Okay, so I, just so I'm tracking with you here, you've talked about atheists, neo-Marxists, progressives, the scientism, people who believe in science. All of those people would probably not describe themselves as believing in God or in gods necessarily. So they wouldn't really see themselves as religious, right? They wouldn't see themselves as religious, but the fact is they are. Okay, so then maybe set up what you mean by religious. Okay, sure thing. The key or the heart of the matter is is to understand that no matter who we're engaging, they each come at existence with some sort of worldview. They have a way that they look at and interpret the world around them. There's this lens through which they view all of their existence and what happens to them, all that happens to them. It's, a, it's the basis of their convictions, and ultimately that's their religion. Make no mistake, everyone has religious convictions consciously or unconsciously. And whether they are secular or supernatural, these convictions, these beliefs about existence, tell them who they are, where they came from, and where they're headed. And this is the lens, these are the, this is the scales through which they weigh everybody else's truth claims and view the world around them. Now, this worldview may have been assembled and modified piece by piece over the course of a lifetime through trial and error, hardship, or study, or they may have have inherited their worldview from the community in, in which they were raised. Worldview is the basis for understanding who you are, where you came from, why you are here, and where you are headed. And to one extent or another, it interprets your reality. Okay, so within that list, there's probably things like political philosophies and ideologies, And then with what you're talking about with scientism, 
there's this belief in things you can touch, detect, or see, or measure scientifically. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't want to go off track and obsess on scientism, but scientism basically is a belief system, some call it materialism or naturalism, that you can only believe in that which you can touch, feel, or measure. Now, I want you to think about that because uh, data or information, you can't touch it or feel it necessarily. It could be on a CD-ROM drive, a thumb drive. It could be pages in a book. It could be thoughts in your head. And so the scientism people, the naturalism people, the materialism people say they don't believe in things that don't physically exist, but yet knowledge and data and information don't necessarily physically exist. Ideas don't necessarily physically exist but they can be expressed physically. And so scientism, rooted in the material or physical world, has a creed or a, a faith that such things can't exist that are not physically detectable, unseen things. These things it refuses to acknowledge. And so I, I'm very glad you brought this up, Mark. Let me, let me give you an example of the religion of scientism. And then we'll kind of get back on topic. But I think I wanted to introduce this quote. And this is Richard Lewontin, who was the Alexander Aziz Research Professor in Biology at Harvard University. And here's an excerpt from a quote where he lays out his religious creed. He says this, Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to understanding the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant claims about health and life, and in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories. It's not that the methods and the institutions of science somehow compel us to accept a material expression of the phenomenal world, but we are forced to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, for because we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. Now think about that. His atheism, his materialism, his naturalism is based on his faith, his conviction that no matter what happens, they cannot allow for a supernatural reason for something. So he creates this world that has its own ideas about existence or meaning, regardless of how patently absurd some of its constructs are. It cannot prove its assertions, but it clings to them tightly for the same reason that Lewinton clings to his religious creed. He's convinced as an article of faith that he's right, and his worldview, his religion, cannot allow for the supernatural. And that's why so many times people say, well, the Bible can't be true. Why can't it be true? Well, because it has miracles. So what's the problem there? Miracles can't exist because the supernatural can exist. Therefore, God can't exist. This is their religious creed. This is scientism. And this is very much a religion. So basically what you're getting at here is that um, this scientism or materialism, these these kind of other worldviews will say because the Bible supports or records miracles and um, conversations, actions, and Ultimately, as we believe, the Bible is the revelation um, of God to his people, uh, then, then these scientism people or these materialistic or atheistic people will, will basically use that to say that the Bible's false. Right? right. That's their religious creed. Now, they'll tell you that the universe has always existed, that it's basically uh, has no beginning and no end, and they'll talk about a Big Bang, and they'll talk about all kinds of things. But the fact is, they weren't there. They couldn't measure it. They can only 
suppose by faith that these things are true. Which kind of brings us to one of the bases for our discussion today, and that's Romans 1.18 to 25, which speaks to the human condition and its religious convictions outside of the will of God, rejecting God. And Romans 1.18, everybody's familiar with that, the wrath of God you know, is poured out from heaven against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known about God has been made apparent to them. His invisible attributes have been made obvious by the handiwork of his creation so that all people are without excuse. But instead of embracing God, they concoct all kinds of stories about existence and four-footed animals and creatures and things like that, and they end up worshiping the creation rather than the creator who made them. God has made himself known, and to reject his existence requires a leap of faith. And so people concoct all kinds of stories, and whether it's scientism or materialism or atheism, whether it's Hinduism, whether it's Mormonism, whether it's Islam, these are the things that we're going to confront. We're going to meet all kinds of people from all kinds of background in this world, and we have to be prepared to deal with them and their religious belief. So I guess a good question to kind of lead us off here would be, how do we deal with people that are like this? Uh, it seems to me like because their worldview is so wrapped up, it's so tightly held onto, that it'd be pretty hard to speak truth, so to speak, into their lives. And that's the point of our series of podcasts called Understanding, because we want to equip people in our community to deal with people in their community, whether it is the workplace, the classroom, wherever it is, wherever you meet them. And so today's podcast isn't so much about evangelism as it is maybe apologetics. It includes evangelism. What we want to do is to help Christ followers understand how to interact or how not to interact with the people that they meet. Okay, sounds good. Let's uh, let's go down that path. All right. Well, let's let's start with a Hindu. A Hindu usually, though not always, is raised in a Hindu community they, because they believe in many gods. They're often pleased to accept or learn of one more god to add to their pantheon of gods because they accept this by faith. The supernatural realm, the unseen world, is not foreign to them. But in a, in a different way, you have the uh, materialist, and often they come up in atheistic homes or homes that are non-religious, and so they take a non-religious or a non-supernatural, is a better term, I guess, a non-supernatural approach to life. You also encounter leftists or progressives who believe that all human beings are here by accident but are evolving into something bigger and better. Uh, because they're raised in a community like that, or they've been indoctrinated through the educational system. And often, regardless of their community, they have not taken the time to stop and critically examine their belief. They tend to believe what that society that raised them taught them. And uh, we have to challenge that. We've, we've got to try to get them to stop and think. You've got to connect their pleasant ideals or ideas with the unpleasant realities that they may be wrong that they don't have it all figured out. And you've sort of got to kind of uh, upset their equilibrium and throw them off balance a little bit in order to cause them to think. Now, what I'm saying is, is that whether somebody claims to be religious or non-religious, everybody is religious in that they have a particular worldview. That's true of Christians. That's true of Buddhists. It's true of Islam. And so let's understand that you and I can't know everything about all these different religions exhaustively to answer their claims or attacks or questions. 
So what we want to do today is really say, so we can't do that. What can we do? All right. So then what can we do? All right. Well, my wife and I recently read a couple of really excellent books by Greg Kukul. One is called The Story of Reality, which is a very succinct and powerful description of the Christian faith. And the second book is called Tactics, which is all about, in a manner of speaking, not so much defending your faith, but challenging the faith of others in a respectful way as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And let me just go ahead and suggest now, if you're listening to this podcast, that you invest time in both books and buying them and reading them. But what I want to do today is to begin to address how to engage people of other religious extractions uh, using some of the principles that are in those books, because these books give us lots of good principles. Okay, so yeah, I, I think they, they definitely give us a good place to start. But would you say that we're able to know all that we need to know just from that little bit, or is there something more that we would need? Well, we cannot know, as I said earlier, everything exhaustively. You can't know everything there is to know, and you can't, you can't know everything. We're not omniscient, but we can know sufficiently enough to get people to think. And this is where this comes in. What, you, what we're trying to do is to get them to uh, go from attacking our religion, you might say. In other words, we go from playing defense to playing offense. So often we get peppered with questions that are so filled with assumptions that the questioner hasn't even thought through. And we end up playing defense all the time. And what we want to do is put them in a very gracious and kind and respectful way on the defense. You know, when you read Jesus interacting with all kinds of misguided people in the New Testament, he almost always asks them questions, putting them, putting them on the defense. And too often, Christians play defense in trying to answer all the questions and curveballs that get thrown at them by the world. And so what we're trying to do is really turn the tables on them. Yeah, so you're basically saying we should be asking them all the questions as opposed to feeling like we need to be able to give an answer for every for every question that they ask us. Yeah, you know, the Bible tells us that we are to give an answer for the hope that lies within us with meekness, gentleness, and respect, an answer for the hope that lies within us. But we don't have to answer all of their questions. And sometimes, not always, the questions aren't necessarily sincere. And so a lot of times they'll just make a statement that they've heard somebody else make or that they haven't really thought through, assuming that you're going to have to answer their question. And, and instead of you, you know, trying to catch all the balls they pitch at you, you have to stop and slow the conversation down and ask questions. So if somebody makes some statement, I, I believe all religions are exactly the same. And so you don't have to say, well, no, they're not, or... But what you can't say is, well, what do you mean by that? That's an interesting statement. Uh, but what does it mean? What, what do you mean by that? Uh, I'm not sure I follow. What you've done is put the ball back in their court, metaphorically and literally. And no matter what their response is, you ask a follow-up question. All right, so you said this, and this is why you believe that. Well, just how did you arrive at that conclusion? Uh, where did you get that idea from? And what's happening here is you're slowing down the game, so to speak. You're slowing the pace of the interaction, and you are making them defend their beliefs. You are confronting their assumptions or their logic, and now they are on the defensive and not you. And no matter what their answer is, you come back to a question. All right, so you, this is why you believe that. How did you arrive at that conclusion? Okay, but how did you arrive at that conclusion? I really want to understand what you believe. Talk more about that. And so 
what you're going to do is discover a couple of things. Number one, whether they are in fact sincere or just trying to get you out of their way, which some people do. They're in a hurry or they just don't want to talk about it. But sometimes they just have failed to think the issue through. And sometimes what you have to do respectfully, lovingly, patiently, and kindly is to shake their faith and their blind faith or their slogan. Uh, Greg Kukul calls this putting a rock in their shoe. And what I mean by that is this. You're not going to necessarily convert somebody the first time you talk to them. I mean, it's great if you can, and there is a place for uh, what some people call uh, confrontational evangelism. But what you're trying to do long-term, I believe, is to build a relationship and to create in their mind a level of discomfort that causes them to take a really hard look at what they believe, and it allows the Holy Spirit to work on their minds, as it says in the Gospel of John, to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Yeah, this actually uh, is is pretty similar to an interaction I had with a student this week, uh, this past week up at camp, uh, where you know we continued to ask those questions of of the guys in my cabin, and and one of them eventually came to this realization that I don't think I'm a Christian, and so it's it's really interesting, like this approach in, in what you've got. It sounds like what you're doing is is really laying groundwork for further interaction. I've got, you know, that opened the door to that student saying, you know, I don't think I'm a Christian, open the door to so much more conversation that we could have as opposed to them just continuing to put on this false um, faith. So as you're laying this groundwork, it really does set you up for further questioning and further discussion. It does. You know, it reminds me of 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9, where Paul talks about one plants, one waters, one harvest, but it's God who yields the increase. This passage suggests a process or a series of conversations, you may in fact seal the deal because someone else planted the seed. And I really don't like that term, sealed the deal, but it, it just summarizes nicely the concept of getting a, uh, somebody to pray a prayer quickly. You may be watering the seed that somebody else planted and somebody else may harvest that. But there's also that relationship side. As we live out our faith in front of people and people with whom we come in contact, they may take our witness seriously, and this may lead to a series of conversations over time. And what you have to do is to put this rock in their shoe that they're going to be forced to stop and remove. They're going to have to deliberately and intentionally think about this uncertainty that's now been created about their worldview and deal with it. And that rock may be one of the questions that you asked when you put the responsibility on them to play defense. And so this is a good thing. Some, you know, somebody says, well, you know, uh, I just don't believe in a God I can't see. And you say, oh, okay, well, why is that? Well, I can't see them. Well, that's true. Can you see microorganisms? Well, no. Do they exist? Well, yeah. You're, see, you're, you're asking questions. All right. Uh, I think we need to start to wrap up here. And so really, uh, I think there's seems like there's a lot going on here. So can you just summarize this all? Maybe a sentence or two on on how we deal and how we understand all of the religions that are out there. Sure. Mark, everyone has a worldview. Everybody that has ever lived is alive now and ever will live is in his or her own way religious. They hold a some belief that defines their relationship to reality, to others, to their moral code or their way they approach life. And our goal is to challenge what they may have come to take for granted, whether they inherited their belief system from their family, their, their, their existing faith community, whether they uh, contracted it during their time at university. 
And what we want to do is to cause them to not just repeat slogans they've heard over and over again, but to stop and think. And that entails what some call putting a rock in their shoe, creating a level of discomfort where you ask them patiently and lovingly and kindly to explain themselves. And so, you know, you have two questions to start out with. What does that mean? You believe all religions are the same. What does that mean? And then how did you arrive at that conclusion? And you can almost repeat these questions over and over again to make them, to, you know, to peel away the layers of the onion. And that's what I call putting a rock in their shoe. All right. Thanks, Keith. Yeah. Why don't you give us another example of that? All right. So someone comes up and says to you, I believe all religions or beliefs are pretty much the same. And so you say, well, what do you mean by that? Because, I mean, after all, one religion believes in many gods. One religion believes in one god. Some people don't believe in any gods at all. Some people worship the earth or, or statues. How are they all the same? What do you mean by that? And they say, well, that's just what I believe. And you say, okay, well, that's interesting. That's intriguing. Can you tell me how you arrived at that conclusion? Now, they may say, well, tell me what you believe. Well, now you may have an opportunity to explain your faith, to give a hope for the answer that lies within you. But what your goal is, for their sake, is not just to win an argument, but to get them to think. And that involves putting them on defense. We're not being mean, but we want to do that to make them think, plus the fact we want to give grace to all those who may overhear our conversations. And sometimes, whether it's in a classroom or a street corner, people make or repeat statements that sound good to them, but when they are examined closely, don't make any sense at all or are self-defeating. And that's why Paul writes that we are to uh, challenge uh, their lofty assumptions, to take such thoughts captive, to shake the foundation of their philosophical and religious strongholds by putting a rock in their shoe by asking questions. That is what we're doing here. That's what we're all about. And so what we're trying to do is to get them to think. And so every religion is based on a, base, uh, based on a set of assumptions. And by you asking a couple of really good questions, you can make them challenge their own assumptions, create some sort of dissonance in their minds. It's like putting a rock in their shoe and they have to stop walking and stop talking and take that rock out. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like additional resources, go to www.gracetoliveradio.org and hit the resource button. If you have questions, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at keith at hillside.org, and I'll try to answer as quickly as possible. If you'd like to learn more about Hillside Church, visit us online at www.hillside.org. You can join us for worship in person at, at 8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 a.m. on Sundays. In the meantime, whatever your podcast platform, give us a rating. Share the podcast with other, other people. Tell your friends about us so that we can reach and equip more people. Well, this is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler saying God bless you and God keep you.